The gospel lesson this morning comes to us from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. May God add a blessing to the hearing of this word. A prayer for illumination for the second Sunday of Lent. Holy God. There are days where the wind is loud. There are days where the rain tears through the trees and the storms of life beg for our attention. So just as you stilled the wind and the sea, still our wandering hearts. Quiet our restless minds. Reach out your hand to us and pull us into your word so that we might hear, really hear, your message for us today. With one foot out of the boat, we pray. Amen. Welcome again, friends. We are in the midst of a sermon series for the season of Lent called Wandering Heart. During the season, we are focusing on the life and the faith of one of Jesus' uh, most famous disciples, Peter. In Peter, we see a person who is both steadfast and unsteady, a dear friend and a betrayer, a follower and a wanderer. In Peter... We often see ourselves. By following Peter's journey, we watch the story of Jesus unfold through the eyes of a very normal human figure trying to figure it all out just like we are. And as we explore Peter's story, each week of this series is framed by the lyrics to a classic hymn of our faith, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And so in this series, we want to affirm that faith is a constant journey. It's a steadfast pursuit. It's one that ebbs and flows. We want to affirm that wandering is exploration. And exploration is okay. We want to affirm the ways Peter keeps going. He drops his nets. He walks on the water. He runs to the empty tomb. He swims to the shore to meet the risen Christ. He keeps searching and yearning and loving even after every misstep and every mistake. Ultimately, in Peter's story, we are reminded that God loves imperfect people. In fact, time and time again, that is precisely who God calls and who God claims. Who remembers 
the first time they heard the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Does anybody remember the very first time? Were any of you today years old when you heard that song for the first time? As we just sang it a few moments ago, I, I see some head nods. Um, I remember, I remember the first time I heard this song. I was 20 years old. I was playing drums in a worship band uh, for a ministry on the campus of my university. And one week at our rehearsal, our band leader brought a new song to us. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Now, I say new song because after all, at this point, it had only been around for 246 years. Um, I remember, though, being enamored with the song, fascinated by the language, the beauty of the verses while also simultaneously being really confused by some of the vocabulary that seemed to go way over my head. Does anybody know what an Ebenezer is anyway? <laughs> I have two answers. So no joke, I asked this in the first service to our choir, right? Our choir loft was full and they had sung this song and I said, choir, who can say with confidence what an Ebenezer is? And there was one hand in our entire choir and that guy is a retired UMC clergy person. So if you are confused by the vocabulary in that song, you are not alone. You're in good company. Um, but I equate it to this. So do you know what it's like to watch like your favorite movie? Do you have that movie you've seen maybe dozens of times? People think you're crazy because you want to watch it again. And each and every time you watch it, there's like one new detail that leaps out at you. One nuance, one background piece that jumps off the screen. One line delivery that hits in a different way that just drives your appreciation all that more. I see a lot of nods there. So a lot of you guys have that favorite movie. Come Thou Fount is like that song for me. There's just so many layers to such a simple song. And each and every line is like this invitation to explore further the very character and nature of God. Our scripture passage today is also a similar story. This seemingly simple retelling of one of Jesus' most profound miracles, but each and every line is layered with complexity and packed with revelation about who God is and how we should respond. So in our scripture, the disciples are on a boat. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. At Jesus' instruction, they've left him behind on the shore, and they're continuing to cross, but they come across a bit of trouble. There's a headwind that's making their crossing difficult. And so we know that in the early hours of the morning, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, of course, their minds are absolutely blown by this, but it's Peter that we're meant to focus on here. Peter wants to walk to Jesus on the water, and so Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat, panics, and begins to sink. Jesus, of course, comes to his rescue, but also introduces a line of questioning and says, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So he and Peter get back in the boat and the wind dies down and the disciples respond by saying, truly you are the son of God. That's our story for today. And I want to take some time to unpack it because this story just seems so utterly fantastical. And sometimes it's these stories in scripture that can be the most difficult to relate to or honestly the most difficult to even believe. Uh, or even understand. So I want to rewind a bit. Let's paint the picture. Let's put ourselves in Peter's soon-to-be-very-wet shoes. Earlier in the gospel accounts, we read that Jesus has just learned of the death of his friend John the Baptist. 
And so he goes to find an isolated place where he can be alone to grieve. But the crowds follow him. Remember, the people are amazed by Jesus. So the crowds follow him. And this is where we can read about another one of Jesus' well-known miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. Where with five loaves and two fish, well over 5,000 hungry people eat until they are full. And there is so much food that there are leftovers remaining. Now, this story is not out of character for Jesus. In fact, things like this are quite common with Jesus. The the Gospels themselves, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record 37 miracles performed by Jesus in their pages. And out of those 37, in 31 out of those 37 recorded miracles of Jesus, Jesus is either feeding people or healing people. 31 out of 37. I think that's significant. I'm I'm a math guy, and so I look at it like 84% of Jesus' recorded miracles are either feeding the hungry or healing the sick. I think there's an important lesson in there for us. If, If we're disciples, if we're trying to be like Jesus, how much of our own time, how much of our own resources are we using to feed the hungry and heal the sick? 31 out of 37. But then there's the other six. And the other six are the weird six. Not nearly as similar or easy to categorize. Um, Early on, we see Jesus attend a wedding. And at the wedding feast, he turns water into wine. Last week, Pastor Anna preached about a miraculous catch of fish as Jesus was calling the disciples to come. And the fish were so plentiful that they broke the nets. Later, we read Jesus on a boat calming a storm on the sea. Today's scripture, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. Later down the road, Jesus will pay a temple tax from a coin found in the mouth of a fish. And finally, there's a withering fig tree that Jesus had cursed, which is maybe my least favorite passage in all of scripture, because let's be honest, we're allowed to have least favorite passages in all of scripture. I don't like the story of the fig tree because I just can't wrap my brain around it. I just can't make sense of it. And truthfully, all of these miracles kind of fit in that category. These six are hard to parse. They seem so random and disconnected from each other, and they are more difficult to understand. But in fact, there's one thing that kind of links and connects each of these six miracles. These are the miracles that are meant exclusively for Jesus' disciples. They aren't performed for the crowds. They aren't meant for the common folks. They are the graduate level miracles. These are the PhD level miracles of Jesus's ministry. They are lessons meant for Jesus's disciples, for the most experienced of his followers. And so if you've ever been reading your Bible and you come across one of these stories of Jesus walking on the water or him cursing a fig tree and you just start to scratch your head, you are in good company, okay? It's like Jesus is saying, you all, All of you, go and feed the hungry. And you, all of you, go and heal the sick. But Peter, I'm going to need you to stay after class for a minute. I've got another lesson just for you. And it's appropriate that this miracle, the walking on water, it is sandwiched right in between feeding and healing. We have the feeding of the 5,000 and they go on immediately to the healing of the sick in Gennesaret. Now, I mentioned that these passages, these miracles, 
they're a struggle for me because I don't preach on these um, ever. So thank you, Pastor Anna, for this preaching assignment today. Uh, because it seems just so impossible to me, walking on the water. And everyone, every single one of us uh, are wired a bit differently. And so we all approach our faith a bit differently. People experience God in different ways. My faith, my faith is primarily intellectual. I love to wrestle with the tension between reason and theology. But it's passages like this that push me past my comfort zone. Because it just seems so impossible. And so however impractical the story, I like to approach it from the most practical perspective I can. So to prep for today, I wanted to put myself in Peter's shoes to understand the journey from his experience. So the disciples, they've just buried John the Baptist. They try to get away, but the crowds follow. And we see them feed more than 5,000 people. This is just an aside, but um, the feeding of the 5,000, a lot more people ate because it says in uh, Matthew, it says that those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And we don't have a number on the women and children, but we do believe that women and children are fully people, right, church? So more than 5,000, all right? Um, that's Anyway, the disciples finish all of this and they are tired. So they're going to escape. They're going to get away. Jesus sends them in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, and he stays behind. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not big. It's about seven miles across. And so I brought an image to show you so you can kind of see a picture of what it would look like and where they were across. And so they started up in Bethsaida, and they moved south trying to get away after John the Baptist. And you can see where the feeding of the 5,000 may have occurred. And then they head across. Uh, Matthew says they're going to Gennesaret. John says they're going to Capernaum. So if you think the Bible doesn't contradict itself, the Gospels can't even agree on where Jesus was going. That's another sermon for another day. But... We know they're going across the Sea of Galilee, somewhere in the middle, we have this miracle location of the walking on water. Now this crossing, again, it's not far, and these guys are a bunch of former fishermen following Jesus. They're in a typical fishing boat. It should have taken a couple hours. Should not have been a treacherous journey, fairly routine for a bunch of fishermen. But there's a headwind that stalled their progress, and they end up stuck. In fact, they couldn't have made it even far at all because we read that Jesus could still see them struggling to row from the shoreline. So here's where Jesus walks out to meet his disciples on the water. And this is where we often get the story confused with another one, the one where Jesus calms the storm at sea, which makes sense because they're very similar, but there's a difference. In that story, the disciples are afraid of the storm. They're afraid that the boat will sink. But here in this story, it's not until they see Jesus on the water that scripture says they began to fear. They're not fearing the storm. They're not fearing for their safety. They're afraid when they see Jesus because they think he is a ghost. And Jesus reveals himself and says, do not be afraid. There's another big lesson here. It's not the storm. It's not practical dangers that paralyze the disciples. It's the fear of uncertainty. It's the fear of the unknown. But it's the presence of Jesus that calms that fear. So Jesus reveals himself, and that's where we narrow our focus to not just the disciples on the boat, but to Peter himself. Remember, this is a story about Peter. And Peter responds. He says to Jesus, who's coming, he says, Lord, if it is you, 
Which, can we take a second to admire the audacity of Peter here? A guy is walking on the water to their boat, proclaims that he himself and Jesus, and Peter has the nerve to say, if it is you. It says, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says, come, and Peter steps out of the boat. Uh, many years ago at a former church, we had the teenagers from our church out at one of our summer camps along the side of a lake. And the evening Bible lesson around the campfire was meant to be this passage of Jesus and Peter on the water. So some of our adults had prepared a skit for the kids to illustrate this story. Peter was going to be in a canoe on the water and Jesus was going to walk from the dock on the water out to where Peter was. So earlier in the day, the adults went out, because the water wasn't deep, about three feet, but super murky, so you couldn't see under the surface. And they sunk an eight-foot folding table just below the surface of the water. So Jesus could walk out on the water to Peter. So we get to the point in the evening, the disciples are in their canoe, and here comes Jesus in his glorious white robe, and he sees the disciples struggling in the canoe, and he steps off the dock onto the water, and he misses the table. <laughs> Did not quite convey the power of the Messiah that uh, they thought it would that day. But I got to admire the spirit. I, I do think a, a visual is helpful. Again, for these fantastical stories that just seem so hard to wrap our brains around. I like that practical. What did this look like? And so I'm not going to walk on any tables or sink myself in any water for you. But I did some research this week. I wanted to see the boat. I wanted to see what Peter was riding in. And I actually found one. I found that some archaeologists had surfaced one from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. It's on display in a museum. This is called the Jesus Boat or the Galilee Boat. And you can see it's simple. It's very wide bottom with a shallow shell, just some boards. It's got four spaces for oars to come out so the fishermen can row. And it had a spot in the middle where a mast would have stood up so it could sail as well which explains why the disciples were struggling with that headwind they weren't able to sail the way they wanted to and so I thought this was a pretty impressive picture but I wanted to see it in action and so I asked AI if it could draw me like the actual boat and I got this cool image here it did a pretty good job right of of capturing the boat until I zoomed in on the faces and I realized that while AI is great at drawing boats, it is not so good at drawing faces. And this has caused nightmares for me ever since the day um, I made it. And I thought it'd be fun to show you all. So imagine that next time you think about the disciples. But we have a picture of the boat. And we can set the scene for what this is like between Jesus and Peter. Because we see they are on the water. They're on the boat. Peter is standing there in all that separates him from the water and from Jesus standing on the water is one shallow boat shell. One simple step and Peter is on the water. And we also read in the scripture that Jesus is able to come to Peter's rescue and catch him. So we know they're close to one another. It is a very intimate conversation and interaction between Jesus and his disciple Peter. As Peter is making this decision to step out of the boat, he says, Lord, Command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. You got the picture in your head? Can you imagine what that's like to be Peter standing there? Standing on the edge of the boat? What it would have been like to take that first step? What is Peter thinking in that moment? And maybe more importantly, why does Peter believe that he can walk on water? 
He's surely never done it before. Because Peter is following Jesus. He has devoted his whole life to being like his rabbi, to being like Jesus. That's how the system worked for disciples. And so he sees Jesus walking on the water and he wants to be like Jesus. So he steps out of the boat and he starts to sink. So Jesus catches him and asks, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now it's easy to assume that in that moment Peter doubts Jesus. Peter doubts his faith. Peter doubts the power of God. But Jesus isn't the one that's sinking. Jesus is still standing firmly on the water. And so who does Peter doubt? He doubts himself. That he could actually be like Jesus. That he's actually capable of being like Jesus. But Jesus is the one that said come. Jesus chose Peter. And Jesus wouldn't have chosen Peter if he didn't think Peter was capable. This take on this parable comes from a a pastor and theologian named Rob Bell who says, All my life I've heard people talk about believing in God. But God believes in us, in you, in me. Faith in Jesus is important, but what about Jesus' faith in us? What if we were a bunch of people so committed to being like Jesus that we were willing to do what seemed impossible? When this story is told in Mark, the response from the disciples is that they were utterly astounded. But here in Matthew, the response of the disciples is different. They respond by saying, truly you are the son of God. Which seems like a normal response from a disciple of Jesus. But the truth is, this is the very first time we see the disciples acknowledge Jesus as the son of God. 14 chapters into the story. And they've been following, they've been engaging in ministry, they've seen him do incredible things, but right here, this is a turning point. We see ourselves in Peter, and this is Peter's moment. This is the turning point where the disciples say, we're ready to do the impossible. And in this moment, there's so much symbolism, there's so much depth. In the book of Genesis, it talks about the spirit of God sweeping over the face of the waters. And here we see Jesus calming the waves while he stands in command above the waters. Jesus symbolizing the bringing of order out of chaos. In Exodus, we see Moses part the Red Sea and and the Israelites cross over dry ground. Again, in Joshua, we see waters flowing stand still so that the people can cross. Jesus here commands water in a semblance of that same deliverance, that same protection. In Psalms, it records this of God. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus, again, through the symbol of water, bringing peace in times of trouble. Here we have Jesus representing order from chaos. Representing deliverance, protection, peace, restoration. And Peter says, I want to do that. I want to be like you. But Peter begins to sink, and chaos returns, and danger reemerges, and panic and fear set in because he begins to doubt himself. Peter never does walk on water as far as we can tell. Peter never turns water into wine. To my knowledge, Peter never cursed a fig tree. Wouldn't understand it if, we, if he did. But as we continue to follow Peter through the book of Acts. You know what Peter does a lot? He feeds the hungry and he heals the sick. One more story and the band's gonna come up and lead us in our final song uh, and we'll get out of here. But I wanna show you a picture of where I go to walk 
on water. There is a place near my house over in Gehanna called Creekside. And my kids and I love to go and walk along the rocks in this shallow creek bed. My kids love it. Now, my son Lincoln, he, he's a brave kid all on his own. He has no problem charging out into the water, having a good time in the creek. But my daughter, Rachel, she stands on the shore and she reaches for my hand. See, she wants to walk on the water. She wants to follow me. But she doesn't think she can do it on her own. She doesn't think that she's capable. And so I take her hand and I say, come. So when she's with her father, she can face her fears and her uncertainties. When she's with her father, she can do what she thought she wasn't capable of doing. When she is with her father, she can walk on water. Faith in Jesus is important. But what about Jesus' faith in you?